Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. How does shame affect your gut health? And how does unresolved trauma impact your body? What is the solution to healing your gut health? Well, in today's episode, I chat with my good friend, Dr. Will Cole. Dr. Will shared some great advice on how to heal your mind, body, and gut. Dr. Will Cole is a health advisor to Gwyneth Paltrow, top functional medicine practitioner, and New York Times best-selling author, and has dedicated his career to teaching people to apply skepticism to nutritional trends and instead pay closer attention to their own intuition. In his new book called Gut Feelings, he demystifies the gut-brain connection and provides a framework to repair the relationship between what you eat and how you feel. This is really an episode you don't want to miss and one you need to share with friends and family. So let's dive in. Dr. Will Cole, it's so nice to see you again, my friend, and so nice to have you back in the studio talking about what you talk about so incredibly well. Thank you for joining me again. It's really, I'm, I'm so excited to chat to you again. I Thank you, my it. friend. We just, it. I mean, we just started saying this before we started recording that it takes a podcast for two busy people to catch up sometimes. It's crazy. So, hi, friend. <laughs> hi, friend. And we've been trying to do something together for so long. So at least we can get this podcast, but we're going to do something soon for your new book. So, Will, I'm very excited. You talk about, you really help people all around the world to manage their health through nutrition. And you have a very unique approach and you are really an expert when it comes to inflammation. Your previous book was about that. Now, this book is about gut health and the gut-brain connection, which we know has been around for years. It was introduced back in it almost a whole century ago. But I think it's only in the last, what, what would you say, 10 years or so or even five years that people have really started understanding mm-hmm. the con- the, this connection. And I get so many questions about it. So I'm so thrilled to have you as an expert talking about this. So I'm really excited to talk about your new book, Gut Feelings. And I really like the feelings part because as you and I both, you know, as you know, I do all the mind, body, brain stuff. So, and the, you know, the feelings are a huge part of it. So tell us about the book. Tell us what this book's about. Big picture. And then I want to dive into some quite specific stuff in the book. Sure. I mean, this book is such right up your alley. I mean, it's a central part of my work and it really um, it is your work. It's really looking at the interconnectedness, the the confluence of factors that come into play when you're talking about mental health. And I really, it's a conversation that I have on an hourly basis with my telehealth patients about the fact that mental health is not separate from physical health. Mental health is physical health and really talking about what are the components of, of mental health. But it's, I thought, you know, it's a time to have this conversation for with people, for people beyond just my patients. So gut feelings is really that, I think, furthering that discussion around mental health, which I think you and I both can agree. It's great that that the conversation and maybe the destigmatizing around mental health is a good thing. We're normalizing people getting access and talking about mental health care. But in many ways, Coming from a functional medicine perspective, I think in many ways it's an incomplete conversation that the conventional mainstream world's having around mental health because it just kind of we relegate mental health to this sort of separate avenue. But the reality is you can't have a full conversation about mental health until you realize that it's just as physical as any other health issue, right? And talking about the inflammatory components to mental health issues. And in many ways, the bi-directional relationship, I think, between mental health and physical health, how in the book, I explore these things that I measure on patients' labs, like underlying gut problems, leaky gut syndrome, or people that have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. We see a lot of people that have reactive food sensitivities, histamine intolerance, mast cell activation syndrome, and chronic infections like mold toxins, chronic Lyme disease, physiological things, how I'm umbrellaing it in the book of under the gut side. So we have gut and feelings. And the gut side is all that stuff that we can measure on labs that impact our mood, impact things like anxiety and depression and brain fog and fatigue. And then conversely, the feeling side of gut feelings, things like stress, chronic stress, 
shame, trauma, even intergenerational trauma, how these mental, emotional, spiritual things in, in some ways, how those things impact our physical body, how they could be literally stored in our cells, how they can dysregulate our nervous system, raising inflammation levels, impacting our hormones, impacting our gut-brain axis. So I wanted to have a both and, not an either-or conversation around both gut and feelings and how 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 our mood and our health are impacted by both. And it's by dealing with both, it's how I see our patients just really recover and overcome these seemingly insurmountable things like mental health issues or autoimmune problems. I'm so grateful, Will, that you've written this book because you you have a very nice way of writing. You make things very simple. And people are hearing a lot of this messaging today, but to have it in one place where it's easy to understand is so important. And that psychoneurobiological link is vital. You know, it's it's really, we're seeing this all the time. Every day in our research, we're seeing that constant significant relationship between what you do with your mind is impacting how you're managing stress, et cetera, is impacting the biology of every cell. As you so rightly said, every cell of our body is is embodying our mind experience. So there's an impact on our brain and our body. And then that impact feeds back into you know that bi-directional relationship. So we have to go, we can't separate these. And you know what's so super interesting, Will, is that, and you point this out all the time in your work and your podcast and, and in this book, that people know we must talk about mental health and people know we must talk about gut health, but people, and they know there's a relationship, but it's still the people that they, the majority of, of professionals that people that are battling with issues go to aren't trained in that. And you comment in your book, I think they have 19 hours at med school of training and like mental health, they have even less. I mean, all the, the, the rotations that they have are just going to label and diagnose. And, you know, so this relationship is between the psychoneurobiology is not, sufficiently handled and I'm very grateful that you've brought this book out to make it so simple so I'd love to begin with helping people have a, a simple understanding but I have a great audience that loves science so if you can give us like a little lesson on the gut brain connection mm-hmm. and you know the bidirectional relationship would be a fantastic place to start then we're going sure. to dive into some other things yeah, is that absolutely. a good place to start are you comfortable starting there or is yeah, there a better place to start I love okay. that I think it's a good setting the stage for the rest of the conversation. The gut and brain are formed from the same fetal tissue. So when babies were growing in their mother's womb, the gut and brain are formed from that same tissue and they are inextricably woven together for the rest of our life through what's known as the gut-brain axis or the connection between the gut and the brain. And if people think about it, the intestines even kind of resemble the brain. It's not an accident. And 95% of serotonin is made in the gut and stored in the gut, our happy neurotransmitter, of which SSRIs and you know medications, antidepressants work upon, many of them do. And 50% of dopamine is made in the gut, stored in the gut, which we need for pleasure as well. So there's a lot of, there's a reason why researchers call the gut the second brain. And to understand brain health, to understand mental health, we have to look at the other side of the gut brain axis. And it, that's, there's, that's, there's no surprise then that there's a lot of studies coming out of the scientific literature. Like you said, the past decade plus or so, it's been trickling in the journals, but now even more so in mainstream pop culture, the even conversations that people are mm-hmm. having with their doctor. And in another 10 years, it's going to be even more of a common exactly. conversation that people have. We're only just scratching the surface of this mm-hmm. as far as it permeating popular culture and people getting access to this information. But there's a reason why that the studies are looking at different bacterial colonies and different imbalances in the microbiome, lower levels of some beneficial bacteria, higher levels of some opportunistic and pathogenic bacteria that we can quantify on labs today are very much associated in the scientific literature to things like anxiety and depression and neurological Mm -hmm. autoimmune problems. So these are things that people don't realize. They think, oh, I'm just anxious. I'm just depressed. But they have to realize Mm -hmm. that it's multifactorial and the gut is a piece of the puzzle. And for some people, it's a significant piece of the puzzle as to why they feel the way that they do. So it's it's from a neurotransmitter standpoint, it's certainly important. But then ultimately, it's our our gut is also home to about seventy five percent of our immune system. Inflammation is a product of the immune system. So there's a whole field of literature that for people that are newer to this, it's called the cytokine model of cognitive function. Cytokines are pro-inflammatory cells. So it's research really exploring how does inflammation impact mental health? How does inflammation impact? how our brain works. And if we're going to look at the model, the sort of traditional model of 
mental health care and understanding it, they talk about right, chemical imbalances, quote unquote, or neurotransmitter imbalances. If that is true, we have to ask, well, what's causing the neurotransmitter balances in the per in the first place? What's causing the signaling problems? Well, in my opinion, a major part of that is the, both the gut and the feeling side, the underlying gut problems, the inflammation issues, chronic infections, environmental toxins are going to impact how neurotransmitters are expressed and the communication lines, the, the crosstalk, if you will, between our gut microbiome, this gut garden mm -hmm. that regulates neurotransmitter health and brain health. And also the inflammatory component. And then the third part here on the physiological side is the vagus nerve, which is the major part of what's connecting the gut and the mm -hmm. brain, a major aspect of the autonomic nervous system, the parasympathetic side of it, the resting, the digesting, mm -hmm. the hormone balance, the neurotransmitter balance aspect of our nervous system. But then the feeling side just as well, right? I mean, the, the mental, emotional, spiritual component has to be impact, has to be looked at as well, because that stuff is as I call it in the book, it's junk food for mm -hmm. it just as much like stress exactly. is the ultimate junk food. Like it's junk food for the soul, but in more, it's more than the soul. It's junk food for the body just as much as your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's not loving you back as well. So we have to realize that these physical and, you know, some ways let's call it metaphysical things have to be looked at, understand, well, why am I having anxiety? Why am I having depression? Why am I having brain fog or fatigue? It has to be a both and conversation. And part of that both and conversation is looking at how the gut influences our mood. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. A lot of us will drop anything to go and help someone we care about. We'll go out of our way to treat other people well, but how often do we give ourselves the same treatment? One of my resolutions for 2022 is to treat myself like I would my best friend. And one way I'm going to do this is to spend more time doing the things that make and bring me joy, such as walking my two puppies or reading novels in the bath. Therapy is another great way we can take care of ourselves. Indeed, you don't have to be in a crisis mode to benefit from therapy. Therapy can provide preventative and protective strategies so that when things do get tough, you'll know what to do. It's one of the best gifts you can give yourself. And this month, BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you that you matter just as much as everyone else does. And therapy is a great way to make sure you show up for yourself. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp Online Therapy. Cleaning up the mental mess listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash drleaf. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash drleaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. That's so important what you've just highlighted. The fact that it's our environment and our experiences in our environment. So we can have an experience in our environment that is toxic and that's going to impact our gut because our experience goes through every cell and our cells make up all the different parts, including the gut. And if people get you know, understand that, it's really a massive part. And then also sometimes we ingest toxins and we ingest bacteria and it goes in, into to whatever what viruses and so on. And that's impacting. So there's this constant bi-directional. So it's, it, I agree with you. Well, it's crazy that it's something that's so vital, but it's not really, it, 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 will, it will change. It will change. People are getting more and more aware. I want to just comment on the, the impact of, of environment and life on our gut. I wanted to make a comment about the, the chemical imbalance. They've also tried to simplify that whole concept of saying that mental health is related to a chemical imbalance. So someone has this huge, people have huge stories. Everyone is not one single person who's not, mental health is everyone's issue. There's no one who's, it's obviously different on a spectrum. But the fact that they just try and simplify it down to a mental a chemical imbalance, that was a myth. It's been disproved over and over. There was a paper that came out in July last year, Jana Moncrief, saying that this chemical imbalance is a myth and once again proving it. So the, we've got to, we, the, the point, the tendency to just simplify it as it being, to it being just one thing, I'm depressed because of one thing. Mm -hmm. What you're saying in your book from what I've read and I know how your work, uh, your work is we've got to look at the whole person. And we've got to look at that gut-brain connection as being a massive part of that whole person because it's the quickest, the vagus nerve, the whole, everything you've just described. Your gut really feels the impact very quickly. Every cell in your body does, but the gut really feels it fast. And mm -hmm. it's like, you know, an almost immediate reaction. 
Yeah. And it's true. And that's why things like SIBO, for example, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth are associated with things like anxiety and depression. So, I mean, SIBO is what drives IBS. So anybody that's dealing with irritable bowel syndrome, uncomfortable bloating, many people will describe it as feeling nine months pregnant, but not being nine months pregnant. That's SIBO which is a bacterial imbalance that not only causes very uncomfortable digestive issues that we need to heal from, but it's very much connected to anxiety and depression. And then you have to sort of suss mm. out and untangle what came first, you know, the, the chicken or the egg. And it depends on the case, right? Certainly trauma, mental, emotional trauma, past trauma, even physical trauma, like whiplash or a sport injury that can impact the nervous system, which can drive digestive issues. But then conversely, underlying gut problems, we know because of the bacterial colony imbalances very much can impact neurotransmitter expression. And even if you look under the certain studies that are looking at autoimmunity, they have proven that it's a causative factor. The bacterial imbalances are a causative factor mm -hmm. to triggering these autoimmunities. So it's both a cause and effect, but like you said, it's this vicious exactly. cycle of one begets the other. And you have to look at both sides of the coin. So that's where, you know, we added in a day and an age where we need to be informed as the, as people going to our doctors, as clients going to, as, as humans going to our doctors, we need to, it's a different type of medicine now. It's a different, mm -hmm. when you have something wrong, we have these books like yours to help people understand, hey, maybe it's this and could I look at this? Because not every every doctor is going to be able to give you the solution without, sometimes you have, we have to help them along. So your book mm -hmm. is great for that, for people to help understand a little bit more on that side. I'd love to talk a little bit about something. I'm going to read a little paragraph from your book because it's something that most people possibly didn't think about much in terms of gut and brain and also related to the the fact that your your gut, a large part of your immune system, we know it's in the brain and we know it's in the gut. And that's also quite new research. You, know, you didn't think mm -hmm. that the brain had its own immune system, but it does. And it's all linked to the gut and that whole. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. But I'm going to read where you have coined the term shame, shame flammation. And I'm just going to read the first paragraph in that little section. In my book, The Inflammation Spectrum, this is Will's book, not mine, I describe chronic inflammation as a smoldering fire within, a fire that goes largely unnoticed until it turns into any number of health problems. Well, throughout my years of treating patients and helping them get their bodies and minds back to vibrant health, I've seen the ways that negative thoughts and emotions can subtly and systematically sabotage health in much the same ways inflammation can. In fact, I see this phenomenon of emotional suffering causing physical suffering so often that I decided to give it its own name, shameflation. Okay, so talk about that. I mm -hmm. love it. I, that, of all of, I love your book, but that's really a favorite part of my book because shame is mm -hmm. so massive. And the mm -hmm. link that you've built between shame and inflammation and gut health and then mm -hmm. the whole bi-directional feedback thing we've been discussing is mm -hmm. very, very interesting. Thank you. Uh, it's interesting. I have never said this on a podcast, but of course, I'd tell my friend you first. I, the originally the title of the book for gut feelings was going to be shame inflammation, but then me and the publishers decided to make it more positive of gut feelings and like it's not just about shame, but and we want to heal people from these issues yeah, too. Yeah, but it's point. a the concept a of shame inflammation is a massive part of the book because it is this connection between mental health and physical health and how this both end conversation but shame the research around shame i mean even though it's vastly under researched in our, mm, both of our totally. opinions but mm -hmm. should and the work that you're doing is is really hoping is is progressing that and changing that over time but it is a it is a i think an umbrella emotion that a lot of my patients feel different ver to varying degrees but this sense of shame and stress and dread and chronic stress overall mm. in their life and how these things and, and I, I would add to that unresolved patch past trauma that they're living out today and all of these things are contributing to this the the immune system being stuck in this chronic inflammatory state in part mm. or connected to the nervous system being stuck in that sympathetic mm. fight or flight stressed inflamed state and it is a massive piece of the puzzle and i see people that have done all the gut stuff, right? The gut dealt with the feelings, the, the gut mm -hmm. side of the gut feelings equation of getting their gut healthy, eating healthier foods, 
working out, doing meditation, but they haven't really gone deeper into the feeling side of it, of really looking at their chronic stress, really dealing with past trauma. And this, and even part of that com- conversation that I'm having in the book around shame inflammation is specifically about people's relationship with food and people's relationship with their body. And I, I, it was my opportunity, I think, in the book to have a conversation about the wellness industry and how I feel like yeah. In many ways, we've we've fallen short for for the average layperson out there because there's so much conflicting information. I mean, Doctor Google is like this endlessly fickle <laughs> physician, which we can substantiate our worst yeah. fears, our own agenda, and confirmation bias at the click of mm-hmm. a button, and we create these sort of toxic tribalism online that only adds to the shame and the disillusionment and overwhelm that people have. So that's part of the shame inflammation mm-hmm. conversation. It's not just the past stuff per se, or people's general life, but it's what is my relationship with food? What's my relationship with my body? And what's my relationship with this thing that we call wellness? Because for so many people, it can start off with good intentions, but can become a source of orthorexia, which is a disordered eating around healthy things in our life. At stressing about healthy food isn't good for your health. Shaming Mm -hmm. yourself about not working out enough isn't good for your health. And that contributing factors to this dysregulated nervous system, sympathetic fight or flight stress state. So it's an important conversation that I have to have with my patients all the time that I really feel like the world is like yearning to, to realize this stuff. And hopefully my book can at least play a part in making the connection that it's really an underlying hidden saboteur to why people are stuck at these plateaus and are able to continue to heal. Mm, so important. Can you give an example? I don't know if you can create a fictitious example or sort of pull from different clients or patients or if you can example from your own life, but that principle of shame and the relationship with food and the wellness industry, I think you've hit something really. Could you talk more detail? Give, give, give a more specific example yeah. about that. Because it's Absolutely. so good. I'm so glad you brought up about the wellness industry because really – what do people do? There's just so much advice. How do you wade your way through? And I've done the 10 steps and I'm still this, or I've done the, you know. You and I are always trying to bring context, 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 and grace and lightness to these conversations. Because yeah. context, grace, and lightness are important. And that's what I talk exactly. about in the book. Like, grace, how you imbue what grace and lightness back into wellness. Like how should there be an ease and like remembering the why of why we're even doing these things of cleaning up our mental mess or or eating clean foods or working out or whatever we're doing. Like, what's the context? You and I know the context, but we realize that we always have to check ourselves and how we're even communicating to people because I I feel like there's so much information out there that sometimes where the person's at in their health journey, like their vessel's only so big for lack of better exactly. term. And like we have so much light, maybe to, or so much information to give them that it's like overwhelming them. And sometimes it's good to just lean in and meet yourself where you're at on your journey and some actions better than no action. And I'd rather someone be consistent with the less and versus doing all the things and feeling like they're a failure if they can't continue to do all the things because you don't necessarily have to do all the things because again it's the mindset and the why of why you're even doing these things so a, a common scenario that i see is because i'm coming from a clinical side functional medicine side my patients are the people that are dealing with a lot of autoimmune problems a lot of food reactions hormonal imbalances things like anxiety and depression brain fog and fatigue so i realize that i'm not the average, I, I don't have like the average person out there, but I think this is an important part because I think a lot of the people that listen to your podcast probably have gone through similar things. Oh, yeah, They've gone through sure. trauma and stress or dealing with gut problems or dealing with brain problems. And I feel like th- those are all real, physiologically real stuff. Nobody's going to deny that in our space. Mm-hmm. We know this. Those people tend to have more digestive problems, and they tend to have more food reactions because of that. So this is a different, what I've experienced clinically is that this is a different avenue of orthorexia than the, maybe the general, like average fitness person out there, right? Mm -hmm. That maybe could get disordered orthorexia in a different way. These people Mm -hmm. do have food sensitivities. They have reactions to foods that don't love them back right now. 
And then there's so much trauma from their flare up or trauma from trauma from their brain fog or fatigue or digestive issue or some sort of inflammatory symptom that they end up because of that physical trauma around food. They end up fearing the foods and they don't ever want to have that flare up again. They don't know what mm -hmm. to trust. They don't know what foods are going to work for them and not. And then over time, as things maybe can get more out of hand because of that bi-directional stress response around eating, mm -hmm. they end up have five, they have five foods to eat. And then they read things online and they listen to things and they think, okay, I should take that food out and that food out. And then they think they hear about all the supplements they need to take. And the, they have this supplement graveyard of trying to figure this out. And they're left with a supplement graveyard and five foods to eat and a lot of stress and anxiety and shame around their body and food and wellness. Mm. So this is a scenario that I think is a massive problem yeah. within oh, for sure. our world, our community yeah. and the people that listen to us. It's a complex conversation because then you have the conflicting opinions, I think, out there in the mainstream world that you'll have the diet culture and then the anti-diet culture that I talk about in the book. And mm -hmm. the anti-diet culture says there's no such thing as a bad food and eat whatever you want. But those people know that's not true for me. If I ate that food, I would feel horrible. Mm -hmm. So they know intuitively that side's not really making sense. And then the diet culture is saying stress and shame, and they know that's wrong too. But they know that food isn't their friend right now. At least a lot of food's not their friend. So that untangling around that, mm -hmm. I have a real reaction to food. I don't want to feel like that, but I have to eat. Where do we go from here? So it's really looking at both the gut and the feeling side of that to say, how do we heal the gut so we can bring things in? And part of healing the gut, you have to do with the gut stuff and the feeling stuff. Because I see people that we work on all the physical stuff of healing the gut, like dealing with mold toxicity, dealing with SIBO, but they don't deal with the feeling side. Exactly. And they're, they're, they get stuck at a wall, right? They, they, get, they can, they, we get them like 70, 50, 70% better, but they're stuck at this plateau. The feeling side has to be brought in to move past that plateau. So it's dealing with their limbic system, dealing with that sort of past trauma that they're dealing with or the trauma around food. There's retraining their brain, which is what all your work is yeah. all about to kind of move past that plateau. So I, that's, mm -hmm. That's a major, I guess, manifestation of shamefulmation that I see all too often, sadly, with my patients. Uh, thank you for that. That's an excellent answer. You know, the neurocycle that I've developed is all about getting people to drive their mind in the right direction so they can rewire the brain. And, and that's what you're basically saying is that it's very interesting. There's so much that you said there that were pearls of wisdom, but I want to just sort of emphasize one point. Where you said that they get, you can get them 50 to 70% healed through doing all the external physical things, which are really important because there's an impact of life. You have to mm -hmm. deal with that. There's damage there, identify it, you fix it. And there's certain things you can do that you can help with the SIBO and the um, IBS and so on. But then they kind of get stuck or go back because the source that's feeding the cells is your mind. Mm -hmm. And how you're managing your mind is going to be driving. So you can do all the physical but if you don't balance that, I totally agree. And that's really where our work crosses over beautifully is that you have to, you have to process, you have to manage your mind without a mm -hmm. doubt, or you're going to get stuck. So that's really was brilliant. You also talk about something that's really quite, quite a subject that's quite, I mean, you talk about so much stuff, but I wanted to just hone in on something that is very in at the moment as well. And that's the concept of toxic productivity. You know, we've gone from hustle culture and toxic positivity and all these things people are now saying hey i mean over being over positive people are saying hey we can it's not normal to be toxically positive all that it's toxic to be positive all the time same thing with the hustle culture this is not the ideal this it isn't a badge of honor to say oh i'm working so hard you know it's we, we all automatically say hey we're busy but in that busyness is there time for rest and you're really good like you will not work after a certain time you don't take calls after a certain time when you're with your family and you know, that's something that you've really built into your lifestyle. And, and you know, that's mm -hmm. something that I've had to learn to build into my lifestyle too, like so many people. So can you talk about toxic productivity hurting your mm -hmm. health and how people that get stuck in this, hey, I'm working 15 hours a day. Well, mm -hmm. you may be producing something and enjoying your work or not enjoying your work, but your gut is battling when mm -hmm. you go beyond the time period of that you should be working and so on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, 
you know, this is part of that, I think, conversation around healthy boundaries, which I think is a good thing, but we need to yeah. maybe have a further conversation around that. Like, I think healthy boundaries with ourselves is really important. Yeah. And also, I mean, I talk about healthy boundaries around food and diet culture and all that stuff and uh, yeah. reframing, I think, that paradigm. But specifically with uh, with toxic productivity, I, a lot of our patients, again, this book is just born out of what I've seen clinically with my patients. A lot of our patients are the sort of type A always on the go. And that's, they're sort of used of that. They're used to that grind of always on the go. And even if they're not working outside the home, we know being a stay at home parent is the, one of the most grueling jobs too. Oh, and there's gosh. no, no off button on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, my wife, I see it so much and, you know, it's important to have that support system and resources people to get access to resources to get that off time as much as they can and get that self-care but and in many ways it's easier for people that aren't a stay-at-home mom because they can they actually have the option to leave work and to implement these healthy boundaries around work because if our nervous system and in turn, our immune system with chronic inflammation is perpetually in that sympathetic, even if it's a low grade, even if you're used to it, right? Mm-hmm. But you're just always, the way that my patients describe in, it is feeling mm-hmm. that wired and tired. It's that background mm-hmm. anxiety. It's that background heart palpitation that you're just so used to it. Just because something's common doesn't necessarily mean it's normal when it comes to these type of things. Just because something's your everyday doesn't mean you should settle for it. And this is certainly an example of that is that that's the feeling side, right? How are we going mm-hmm. to practice acts of stillness is how I call it in the book. Like how are we going to bring healthy margins in your life to be supportive of the parasympathetic? So a lot of the prescriptions, if you will, that I give in the book are basically compiled my favorite gut and feeling action items over the protocol mm-hmm. of the book. So people could really take both the gut and a feelings action item to support the parasympathetic nervous system, which you and I both know, that's the aspect of the autonomic nervous system that isn't doing so well. And mm-hmm. we need to really downregulate that sympathetic tone and increase the parasympathetic and the vagal tone to feel better, to not feel anxious and exhausted all the time. Mm-hmm. And healthy boundaries with work is a major part of that, or healthy boundaries with life itself. Mm, that's great. Yeah. So. Let's, let's swing over into some practical tips that people can directly from, let's, let's springboard from this particular question. You know, that wh- what does that look like? And I know people are going to, you're going to say things that people have heard before, but I like the way you say it. So can you give some nice practical, let's talk about practical tips now. And, and I know you handle a lot of it in your book. A massive part of this, I mean, look, I think this is, I'm going to offend so many people right now, but it's going to be, and it's said in love, but it's their relationship with their phone, right? Their phone is Mm -hmm. typically a vehicle for the work stuff. And then all, and then people will say, I'm so busy with work. I just want to come home and just do something mind numbing and scroll social media. But then you have that FOMO inducing content on social media that's perpetuating that sympathetic tone, the fight or flight tone. So the, I I think both from a work and a sort of sympathetic activation of social media, both need to be looked at. And the commonality of that for many people is their cell phone. So for me, I don't really have an option because I'm seeing patients all day online. I can't have even the buzzing of my phone even if it's on silent, people are like, yeah, I have my phone on silent, but you hear that dun, 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 of the exactly. phone vibrating. <laughs> it's yeah. still pulling you out of the present moment and making you think, well, what message is that? I have to check it. Or people have mm-hmm. their the i the Apple Watch, and it's constantly being dinging. Yeah, <laughs> you need to exactly. streamline, simplify your life. You know, I talk about the Scandinavian practice, this ancient practice. There's a lot of cool research around it too, about Huga, right? To sort of making mm-hmm. your life comfy and simple and sort of like nourishing. And one of the act- feeling action items in the book is really practicing these practices of Huga and simplifying, making your life this sort of this sanctuary in many ways. And doing a digital detox, doing a tech detox is a great idea to do that. And what that can look like is turning off, like making your phone completely no no notifications, silencing Mm -hmm. all notifications, silencing all text messages. You do not get the pop-ups. And 
putting your phone on airplane mode, maybe when you get home with your family or putting your phone in a basket or turning it off at the end of the night. I mean, whatever you have to do to create these healthy boundaries and then people, you know, a a lot of the the, uh, iPhones will have the downtime ability to make your own downtime. But I see people just overriding their own parameters. So sometimes you have to go above and beyond that to really separate yourself from your phone. And one way is when you wake up in the morning to really just take a a beat and not have your phone for as long as you can have, maybe wait until lunchtime to check your phone. If that's, if it's possible for you is just start off your morning with how are you going to make the seed of your day? How are you going to really plant the seed of your day? So many people wake up and one of the first things they do is check their phone. What has happened Mm -hmm. through the night? (laughs) Something has happened through the night. That's so pressing that you need to check first thing in the morning, but really simplifying your morning. Maybe it's going and looking at the sun first thing in the morning, which is a great way to reset your circadian rhythm. Maybe it's doing mm-hmm. some grounding practices, or I talk about in the book, the research around grounding and Shinrin mm-hmm. Yoko, which is forest bathing in Japan of the research mm-hmm. of using nature as a meditation and a mm-hmm. medicine and simple, low cost and free things that we can do yeah. like grounding and forest bathing, getting some natural sunlight in the morning, like low horizon light. That those are some practical things people do instead of looking at their phone. Maybe it's you getting you and I both like our peak tea, right? I love peak tea, mm-hmm. so I, I just make some a green peak tea and use yeah. tea as a meditation practice, which has been used in in J- exactly. Japanese culture for a long time. Of actually making it a ritual, and these sort of simple rituals of stillness can be very therapeutic at supporting a parasympathetic, and none of that has to do with with your phone. And honestly, none of it is really that sort of high end, you know, exclusive. It's accessible to most people. Now that's fantastic. Let's, let's blend this with some tips for the eating side of things. You mentioned that a lot of people have allergies and then they get these reactions and they're terrified to eat those foods again. And obviously you can't, you're not giving blanket advice now, because if it's not a cookie cutter advice situation, everyone's totally unique, but that, that fear that builds up around eating where does someone start if they are in the situation where they just they just don't know what to do with their their diet and everything seems to be affecting them and it's you know to pass out the you, you to pass out what's causing what it can also be overwhelming so we all know that our mind drives our brain and our body and we know that the gut health issue is is a direct is a di- direct link to every cell of our body but you feel it quickest in the gut brain re- reaction so mm-hmm. what would be first steps you have a 21 day pro sort of program in here but what would be first steps if someone is sitting here listening to this now and they're just saying, oh, gosh, I, I can relate to everything. Where do I start? Do I start with my mental health? Do I start with my physical health? Yeah. You're telling me to do both at the same time. What does that look like? Yeah. So obviously, I put together the protocol in the book. It's 21 days. As I say in the book, I am not saying that you're going to heal all your past trauma, intergenerational trauma and shame in 21 days. Definitely the not. Bo- at least 63, as we know, it takes at least yes. one cycle, multiple cycles of 63. <laughs> That's right. But I want them to see what's the most evidence-based, effective, easiest, accessible ways for them to support their gut and their feelings. And these are 21 of each. So we have 42 of the best actions for gut and feelings that I've seen work well for patients. So I don't think it should be an either or. Now, look, I think that meeting a person where they're at, and this sort of the science and art of what I do with patients and knowing, okay, Mm -hmm. what are they able to even receive or handle right now? Back to like doing something versus nothing point Mm -hmm. that I made earlier. There are some people that they're, everybody's configuration of puzzle pieces of how they're going to heal look different. And remember, I said like 50 to 70% of dealing with the physical stuff. For some people, which I know that you know, there's like, it's mostly not physical at all. It's all the mental, emotional, spiritual stuff. And they really mm-hmm. deal with that. And then the physical stuff, like 20% of their puzzle. Exactly. So everybody's configuration of gut and feelings as far as what's the most needle moving for them is going to be different. Mm-hmm. But that's why I think a both and approach is good, but even just these micro moments and just being consistent with the micro moments can be very influential on your health over time and con- with consistency. But I know some people, they get, they get the physical, they start healing their gut physically with some of the action items that we do. 
And that gets their head above that proverbial water enough to have the bandwidth because when they Mm. don't feel inflamed, their nervous systems calm down, their hormones are more balanced, there's less neuroinflammation. They have the resilience and the bandwidth to be able to do the mental, emotional, spiritual feeling side a lot more effortlessly. But then Mm. I see some people, their relationship with food is so battered that they have to do, at least start to do the mental, emotional, spiritual stuff first to even be able to hand handle a breakfast, lunch, and dinner that loves them back. Mm. So it's definitely going to be different for different people. But Every day, I think we can make at least one action item, one simple accessible action to support the gut and the feelings. And for the gut side specifically, since you asked, I mean, I I think it's day one in the protocol, maybe day two. It, yeah, yeah. It's day two in the protocol. I say, if you do nothing else, be consistent with this to support your gut health. It's it's adapted from what's called a GAPS protocol, which is an mm-hmm. acronym that stands for gut and psychology syndrome or gut mm-hmm. and physiology syndrome, which is the acronym GAPS, which is a protocol that we implement in many of our patients' protocol, at least at some point in their journey, to really be supportive of the gut brain axis. And it's a lot of soups and stews. And we give lots of recipes and pretty pictures in the book so people can Mm -hmm. learn how to cook these things very simply to be almost like a proverbial siesta for their gut health. And if you, we are what we eat. You've heard that like the foods we eat are the raw material to make up our cells and make up our Mm -hmm. neurotransmitters and make up our hormones. But we are ultimately what we absorb, meaning if your gut's unhealthy, you're not absorbing foods. And eating foods can be very stressful for some people's body. Their gut's Mm -hmm. bloated, even, Mm -hmm. you know, the amount of people that I see get bloated from salads and vegetables. And then they think, man, I can't even have vegetables, which are kind of the epitomization in our culture of a healthy Mm -hmm. food. Where the heck am I supposed to go with this? But by having soups and stews, it's one way to break down the plant fibers to make those foods more digestible and in turn more bioavailable, i.e. usable from a nutrient density standpoint for your body. So Mm. every day I'm encouraging the reader in the book to really almost do a a gut reset in a way Mm -hmm. to be supportive of their gut health by these soups and stews. And there's vegan soups, there's bone broth, soups and stews Mm -hmm. to really be helpful. And I even talk about a phenomenon that I see clinically of people that have histamine intolerance and mast cell activation syndrome, which can cause a lot of anxiety and brain fog for sure. And I teach how to do the soups in a low histamine way, because even some, everyone talks about the benefits of bone broth, which it's, it is wonderful, but even healthy foods, what works for one person may not work for the next person. And again, I'm in the world of food sensitivities. So I want to adapt it and evolve it, customize it, if you will, for the individual. So even bone broth can be higher histamine. So some of these people that have, they're trying to do the right things and then they go and have this food. And it's like, oh man, everything that they're telling me to do, I'm having a negative response to. Well, we're going to figure it out for you. We're going to work, we'll walk you through this. I'm used to these complex off the wall things that aren't so off the wall for me, but maybe for the person that's going through it. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors. According to the EPA, indoor air could be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. And in some cases, it could be a hundred times more polluted. We take about 20,000 breaths per day. And that's almost 3000 gallons of possibly polluted air that we're breathing in. So what's the solution? My go-to is the air purifier, Air Doctor. Air Doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens so that your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor uses an ultra HEPA filter that's been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested bacteria and viruses. Air Doctor comes with no questions asked, 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund, minus shipping. So head off to airdoctor.com pro.com and use the promo code Dr. Leaf and depending on the model you'll receive up to 40% off. You are saving up to 40% off. Lock the special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code Dr. Leaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. I've got page 144 open in front of me and you talk about the gut. You give a little gut thing like for example up your protein intake and then you give a feeling balancing balance the anxiety equation so you're giving like little things that you can do collectively together to to help a person 
You know, you yeah. talk about the stress of good food, even good food making you unhealthy. You know, the keto craze when it was sort of, and we were all doing keto at one point, and it's not that I'm knocking keto, but and you talk a lot about doing it in a balanced way. But it's it's mainly nuts. Everything's nut flowers, nut, nut, nut. And I knew I battled with nuts myself. And, and years then I felt like I'd grown out of it. So going into full-on keto where everything was, I had such inflammation in my joints and everything. And as soon as I stopped all nuts again completely and went, because even that, when you say that even healthy foods, and I only eat clean food and lots of soups, and even those were starting to affect me. But as soon as I removed that mm -hmm. really great food, I mean, nuts are phenomenal, but in my body it didn't work. You know, and mm -hmm. it was definitely so. Just just talking about the the, I wanted to use that as an example of even mm -hmm. healthy foods. If you have some kind of a response, it can even affect the other, like the salad makes you bloat kind of concept. Yeah. So it is a matter of having encouraging people to to not just give up, but to really explore. And there is a solution. There mm -hmm. is a way through it. And the process of exploring can be a bit anxiety provoking, but it's also exciting. So it's how you look at the mm -hmm. that's where the mental side comes in and. Then you talk about you know making soups and stews. It takes more time, but that in itself is a is a is a meditation practice. You know, it can be yeah. it's a relaxation practice. So the blending of both worlds, which you've mm -hmm. achieved in this book, is is really great. It's beautiful. Right. So thank you, thank, thank even, you for writing it. So yeah, you're welcome. Ahead. Yeah, and even with the soups, like you said, like you can batch make these things and yeah, have them for yeah. the week right That's yeah what I maybe do, yeah. the beginning of the week it's a little bit more but you can really have your whole week planned and that's some of the you know meal planning is definitely something i want to people to know about just be proactive for your week and once you get a few weeks under your belt what seemed overwhelming at the beginning is not because it's really just part of your routine and ritual and i be honest with you that i when you feel great, you have more resilience Absolutely. and the things that overwhelmed you before aren't always going to be overwhelming. You just have to do enough to get your head above that proverbial water. So then you can realize, oh, wow, I, I want to do the things that continue to make me feel good. Like the, the paradigm that I talk in the book is like avoiding foods that don't love you back isn't restrictive. It's self-respect. And then conversely, oh, that's that's so nice. continuing to eat foods that don't love you back is like staying in a toxic relationship, wondering why you're still miserable. And I think I, so many people have this like supercharged negative relationship around food and it's diet culture, quote unquote, yeah. toxic and diet the wellness culture. industry. Yeah. Right. But ultimately, we need to realize that we're using, we're loving our body enough to nourish it with things that love us back. And that's the the paradigm shift of what I talk in the book. I call it food peace. It's like having peace around the foods you eat, having peace about the body that you've been given and how can we take care of it? It is all a message of, of really positivity and agency over your health. It's just going to take time for you to be consistent to get there. But believe me, people, I see people up against very, very heavy stuff overcome it. And I, I really want people, It's we're talking about heavy things, but ultimately healing is so possible. Healing is nonlinear, but extremely possible. Nonlinear, possible, and takes a lot of time. Yeah. And that's, you know, you don't just work overnight and find a solution for your patients. They're with you over a period of time. And it's a matter yeah. of searching and not giving up and in our quick fix society and grab that book. You must do these five things. You must take these supplements. It's for, as you spoke in the beginning, that can be very overwhelming. So sort of like a, as a almost final kind of conclusion, you, you started off with talking in, in your book, you mentioned about the wellness industry and how it can be overwhelming. What would your advice be to someone who has got every wellness book, not that you can have, but on their bookshelf and they've read it all and they've got all this what should they do? Put the books aside for a while, you know, get your book and start that. And it's another wellness book. But where, what should they do? Because they're hearing this from so many people. What would be a good place for them to start? Well, I, I do feel like an editing of their life is important. I love we have that, our, we have our patients go off of, you know, really put parameters around the things they're searching online and what are the things that are nourishing them? And really think, like, what is making me feel light? And what's making me feel really anxious and shame-based and adding to my sort of obsessive thoughts around these things? Mm. So I would say, look at the people you're following on social media. Like, who are the people that are really, I don't want to use the word triggering, but who are the people yeah, that are really yeah. activating your sympathetic, fight-or-flight, stressed, anxious, shame-based mm -hmm. way? Unfollow them. Like, don't, it's not personal. It's for your own self-care right now. At this point in your journey, 
it's just too much. So I would say, and even edit the things you're listening to. I think podcasts like this are wonderful, they're encouraging, but some people go to listen to other podcasts and they think more is better as far as content and there's sort of mass consuming content that it's just not edifying them right now. It's not like lifting them up. It's just perpetuating their sort of paralysis of analysis and not mm-hmm. actually creating some stillness and some space in their life. So I would say curate, curate the podcast, curate the people you're following on social media, curate the people you talk to in your personal life of things that are still going to challenge you. It's okay to be challenged, but that are in, that are, we all know intuitively as humans, like what is part of our journey? Where am I at right now? And what's going to actually lift me up instead of just add to my confusion and stress and shame. So that's what I would say as a first step for people in this situation. Oh, I love that. We 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 have we've had a beautiful conversation around gut feelings, gut health, and all of these incredibly important impact that that through the bidirectional relationship. You know, complex stuff. But your final word of wisdom is is profound because it is really curate your life, edit your life. You don't have to do all those things. Mm-hmm. It's simplified, streamlined, and you can only do that by standing back and starting to do an edit process. I love yeah. that. On that note. Uh, well, I'm going to, I don't want people to lose that edit your life concept. I think it's brilliant. And congratulations on your book. I recommend this book. Where can people get hold of you? Yeah. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Gut Feelings is everywhere that books are sold. You can get it on Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble. You can get it on Indie Books. Support your independent bookstores if you have one in your area. Yeah. So it, all the pre-order stuff's at drwillcool.com. We have a quiz actually that I adapted from questions that I ask patients. And we adapted it from an adverse childhood experience score, like an A score, and other questions about people's health to measure their own shame inflammation for them to kind of see, how's my gut feeling connection? How, how is it? So all that stuff's at drwillcool.com. That's fantastic. That's really a great place to start. People can start there and, and get a get. People love quizzes. So it's a great place to start the mm-hmm. process. So thank you for that. Well, I'm really excited. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom again. And I look forward to our next conversation. Likewise, it has to be in person next time, my friend. Uh, for sure. It's, it's absolutely for sure. We've enough of this over the, over the <laughs> airwave <virtual> stuff. stuff. <laughs> yeah, let's do the real thing. Not that it's bad. This, at least no. you can do it. At hey. least we can converse. But in person's always always the best. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, soon. Will. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.